Good morning. Good news. It is meant to be shared. Today, I think we're in about session four, class four, part four in a series of about 12 messages on the book of Philippians. I love this book. Uh, man, it's just the, the epistle of joy. It's what the Apostle Paul would tell us if he was sitting with us this morning. And uh, we've been uh, navigating through these uh, scriptures together. So if you want to go back to the website and catch up with any, any, any of these messages you want to, they're there for you. But I love this title today, <clears throat> Joy in Your Attitude. You know, it's not like I heard that a lot when I was growing up. Keith, come here. We need to adjust your... Oh, you had my dad, huh? Yeah, and, and my dad had this uh, weapon, I mean, uh, he had this instrument for attitude adjustment. And did, did your dad or mom have that uh, instrument too? It wasn't the cross. It just felt like the cross. Yeah, the belt. Oh, man, the belt. Okay. Attitude adjustment. As Christ followers, your attitude and mind should reflect Jesus. It should be like our Savior. <clears throat> so there's a real simple question we have to ask ourselves. I want you to write it on your notes today. Do I have a bad attitude? It's a great question to ask. We have no problem asking ones that live in our home, our children, about <coughs> bad attitude. Got to adjust your attitude. But as we get a little older and then teenagers, they can have attitudes, I understand. And then as we get young adults and adults, sometimes when we get older, we just go, man, he's just grumpy. <laughs> he's got a bad attitude. And uh, what I love about Jesus is he was perfect in every way. He always maintained a good attitude. Now, if anybody had reason to not have a good attitude, it would have to be our Savior. I mean, they spit on him, they mocked him, <laughs> they ran him out of town, they did all kind of cruel things to him, eventually to the point of torturing him and, and, and killing him, crucifying him on a cross, and here he is, the son of the living God. He is God. But, but I think about, uh, but what did Jesus do? Every time he confronted confrontations, situations that would cause you and me to have a bad attitude, he prayed. He would always pray about the things that were happening, the circumstances. He would talk to the Father because he was, was human. He was completely God. But he also, he wouldn't worry. He would just, he would just cast that on. He would ask the Lord for, uh, for guidance. And I like that Jesus was never defensive in his attitude. He was never discouraged that I read in Scripture about his attitude. Now, there was a time in the garden where it certainly seems like that's the limit, like, Father, if this cup can be passed, if this cup can be taken from me, take it. But nevertheless, thy will be done, not my will. Jesus still demonstrated a really good attitude, which is amazing. In 1 Peter 2.23, if you want to write it down, it says, He made no threats. He did not retaliate. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He, he entrusted his life to the Father. Pretty interesting. You know, when you think about attitudes and having the right elements, you, you have to have uh, some of the elements, some of the things we'll talk about today, but I, I think about the thing like if you bake a pie without sugar, I would just call it nasty. If you bake bread without yeast, it doesn't rise. I don't think you want that. If you have popcorn without butter and salt, it's not very flavorful. You, you, you know when you go to the movie theater, how many of you, you know it's not healthy, but when they go, do you want butter? And, and I, I still remember this. My wife reminded me of this a, a, a while back. She goes, remember when we were dating and, <laughs> and we were engaged and we'd go to the movie? Go, yeah. And she goes, 
and we would, we'd have a bucket of popcorn, and then somehow you would have that popcorn, and then you would stick your arm around me. She goes, that was not good. And, uh, <laughs> but, you know, at that time, it seemed cute, you know? And now I think, man, that was probably pretty gross, you know? Sticky butter popcorn fingers, you know, it just tells you a lot about me. And some of you are like, thanks, Keith, you just messed it up, you know? No more popcorn. Think about attitude. I, I think one of the best stories I've ever heard, <coughs> it makes me think about you, Gideon. It makes me think about our time together. There was this little boy, and he was in the backyard, and he was strutting around with his ball and bat. Can, can you see that? I, I see my grandson this morning. I saw him walking around doing stuff, and you see uh, your kids, and you remember when you were doing that, and uh, <coughs> this little boy, he's walking around with his bat and ball, and he goes, I am the greatest hitter in all the world. Absolutely. He tossed the ball in the air, and he swung, strike one. He just missed it big time. It's okay. He's sitting there. He started murmuring to himself. You know how little boys like to talk to themselves? Tells us a lot about us. I, I was wondering. I did that, and I still do it now at 57. And so he threw the ball in the air. Colossal whiff. Strike two. And he goes, I am the greatest hitter in the world. And he's saying, man, this, this is not doing so well. So he pauses and he gets the bat and he examines the bat and the ball, see if there's a hole in it. And then he gets the ball, he throws it up, and he swings with everything he's got. And he missed it again. And I love what this little boy said. He goes, strike three. What a pitcher. What a pitcher I am. Now that little boy had perspective. He couldn't hit, but he thought he could pitch. And I think about our lives a lot of times, like, man, we're whiffing, and God's like, I want to give you an attitude. And you're going through a situation, and to a little boy, a bat and a ball is everything. But attitude. And I just think about our attitude this morning. Is it good? Because I think Philippians tries to speak to us about the circumstances of life, and the, the Philippian assembly was a good place, but it still needed correction. It still had its challenges, and and Paul writes from the prison cells, we stated in week one and two, trying to encourage them that, hey, they need attitude. <clears throat> because when you and I have joy, we have spiritual energy. Write that down. When you and I have joy in our soul, we have spiritual energy. <clears throat> and when you don't have joy, I would say your energy spiritually diminishes. It might even just not even be present, but it definitely shrinks. David Jeremiah, the great pastor, I, I love him. He says, attitudes are more important than our actions. They're the foundation upon which our actions are built. Attitude is everything. You know, so much, you see studies, 80, 85% of everything is attitude. It's knowledge and it's competence and it's chemistry and it's character and all those things make good employees and make good students. But at the end of the day, attitude. If you come with a great attitude, it's amazing what you can accomplish. Ball teams that have attitude problems, I don't care how talented they are, they plummet rather quickly. Uh, was it this week that the great Peyton Manning, hey, there's another Tennessee reference, what is wrong with me today, you know? He retired. I, I listened to it on radio last night, and he was just, he, he started crying. I, I didn't see it live. I'm not sure if I just go Google it or whatever. They'll probably play it 100 times this week. Probably already played it 3,000 times. But basically, he just says, I, I finished the race. I've, I've fought the good fight of football. And he quoted the scripture. And I went, man, that's kind of cool, you know. 
So listen to what John Maxwell says. <clears throat> the greatest day in your life and mine is when we take total responsibility for our attitudes. That's the day that you and I truly grow up. You know, we're always saying, take responsibility for yourself, take responsibility for the situation. Keith, friends, own your attitude. It, it's your attitude. And your attitude is being displayed, it's being expressed. And it's a good one. It could be Christ-like. Or it's a poor one. And it's maybe your father, the father of this world. It's the devil. It's not going very well. So Paul, Paul deals with a friction there, and he talks about in Philippians 2, verses 1 through 11, is really the text today. He talks to him about servanthood, and he talks to him about submission. And let's just look at the NLT I'm going to read. So your NIV, NAS, RSV, I could give you a thousand translations, whatever you're reading from, listen. It sounds like some disease, doesn't it? The RS, you know, whatever. All right, here we go. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. <clears throat> but don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest and others too. Man, that is a whole message just to read that and go, God, what do you want me to do? Well, son, daughter, I want you to have a great attitude. And that attitude, the first blanket, brings about unity of heart and mind. <clears throat> our heart, the core of our existence, and our mind are linked. And when they're separated, we've got problems. Because a lot of times, as Christians, as thinkers, we believe things, we have intellectual assent, we, we believe in the creeds or, or <clears throat> doxologies or whatever, and we ascribe to that, but there's a disconnect between our mind, our head, and our heart. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? So many things you're like, I believe that, it's the Word of God. But somewhere between my head and my heart and definitely my feet, walking it out, disconnect. So God says, hey, I want unity there. <clears throat> the true obstacle to unity of heart and mind is basically selfishness and vanity. That we're selfish. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, I think we would all agree. Yeah, I'm selfish. Now, some of you are very selfless, but you still have some selfishness in you. Some of us maybe are more prone to be selfish, and we know we are, and mine, mine. I mean, you know, and when kids do that, it's not even cute when kids do it. But when adults do it, it's really not very attractive. And it, it just throws off a poor witness for Christ. So Christian unity never comes without a lot of effort and a lot of attention. That I pour in a lot of thought, I'm, I'm fervent, I, I work at it. Um, <clears throat> as we go through this, the life of Jesus that we embrace, the life of Jesus that we want in us to be expressed through us, it results in unity. It brings about unity with the Father. It brings about unity with one another. Because when we're with Christ and Christ fills us, when the Holy Spirit controls us, when the Holy Spirit absorbs us, <clears throat> there's a possibility, there's a great chance for unity. So this unity here, I mean, what are we going to do with it? We, we have felt his love. It has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, says Romans. <clears throat> that the love of God that has, has come and reflected and manifest in us wow that's the lord and he's doing something in me and it's been made known to me and true unity is difficult isn't it <clears throat> when a person becomes a believer in christ when a person becomes a christian 
<clears throat> he gets linked in to the unity with the Trinity, with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. In, in Ephesians 4, 3, though, Paul, speaking to believers, to Christians, he says these words, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. He realized it was going to require effort, determination, dying to self to have unity. And in this room, in our church, to have unity, we have to work at it together. Unity is not just, it's the church, so it must have unity. There's plenty of churches that have disunity. And, and I've often wondered about how do, you, how do you have unity? You pray a lot. And you pray some more. And you spend a lot of time in this book. And this book reads you. And this book fills you. And this book becomes the, <clears throat> the direction. It becomes what you center your life around. And as you follow Scripture by the power of the Holy Spirit, you and I have a chance for unity in the church and unity of heart and mind. In, in the Gospel of John, the 17th chapter, the 21st verse, it says this, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me, I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. <clears throat> but may we be one. Jesus with the Father, one. Us with Christ, one. And you're saying, well, man, that's such a simple truth. It's a simple truth. But it's really an impossible truth to do it without the Holy Spirit. That, Lord, somehow I want to I share. We, we read about if there's any comfort, if there's any fellowship, the comfort comes from Christ. <clears throat> I, th I think about comfort. I, I'll tell you a place that I think is very comfortable. This summer, we have vacation schedule as we do every summer to go to the beach. <clears throat> and one of the places that I love to relax is a beach chair. Do I, do I have any friends? And there's something about a beach chair. Uh, they're not incredibly comfortable like the, the, the leather chair in my family room that I have. You know, big deal, and it's really comfortable. I mean, I've taken a nap or two. You, you, have you ever taken a nap? Yeah, sure, yeah. You're lying if you don't. Okay. But at the beach, you know, they're, they're metal, and they're, they're cool colors on the beach. And at the end of the day, they're just not extremely comfortable. But there's something about the ocean. And the blood pressure drops about 20 or 30 points. And you really could care less. And you just chill. How many of you are like right now just going, man, that's what I do when you preach. I just drift off. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. I said if you had any comfort with Christ. Okay. But I, I draw that picture trying to make you think, run into a place with Jesus that I find comfort. And I, honestly, I do a lot of worship in the beach chair. I really do. I, I listen to a lot of music. I read a lot. I pray a lot. I reflect a lot about the majesty and the, and the greatness of God. Just of trying to calm my mind from the things that happen, that fill it every day like you. So it's that time to steal away. And then there's that fellowship with the Spirit. <clears throat> that the Holy Spirit is committed to you and me, to meeting our needs, to giving us guidance, to encountering Him. And you know, that's what we've been praying for for our church. God, we need a deep revival of the Spirit of God that would fall afresh on us. When we say revival, people go, oh, all those people are going to get saved. Well, that would be great. But something has to be alive to be revived. <coughs> it is living. I think revival is for the Christian church. How about you, church? But we've drifted off. And Christ wants to come and revive the church. We, we were praying that this morning in our time. Matter of fact, let's just stop and pray and ask the Lord. <coughs> Lord Jesus, We've come into this assembly today 
to hear your word and to sing songs and to give praise and to say prayers. Lord, I pray that we've come for unity's sake. But I pray that we've come to hear from you, Father, and <clears throat> you're tender and compassionate. Help us to make the right choice. Help us to have fellowship with you. Bring revival in this house. Bring revival in our families. Bring revival to our nation. In Jesus' name, amen. Tutu, he says, and, and tutu, I'm not saying dance, like tutu, like, that, that sound is so weird. Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving, working together, one mind, one purpose. It's that whole unity thing and that God wants to do something really special. Then, then you go to verse 3, it's going to come up on the screen. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition, says the New King James, or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, that's humility, let each esteem others better than himself. <clears throat> this verse, this simple verse, could radically transform the life of any church. This verse could radically transform the life of any marriage union. This verse could radically transform any relationship on this side of heaven. And the church said, it just does. Considering others better than me? Huh? Because our flesh, that is so counterintuitive. Our flesh is like, it's all about, come on, you know, it's all about, we want to make it all about me. People all the time tell me at church. It's all about me, Pastor. I'm like, oh, help him, Jesus. Pastor, music's too soft. Pastor, music's too loud. Pastor, your voice is too loud. Pastor, you sound like Kermit. Pastor, you preach this. Pastor, Pastor, ba, 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 ba. I hear you, sheep. I hear you. It ain't about you. It's about him. And it's about the body assembling and growing and about people far from the cross. And I just keep saying, God, bring revival in this place. Bring people that want to hear. Bring people that want to surrender to Jesus. Amen? You're like, well, you know, culture. I know about culture. Culture is whipping our tail. And it's time for the church to rise up. I'll save that message for another day. I'm kind of fired up about that. Joy is being shut out of our lives at the point of pride. Write that down. Joy is shut out of your life and my life because of pride. Of exalted self over Jesus. Joy <coughs> is invited into your life and mine through humility. Through humility. When I humble myself before him, then joy starts to fill me. I lose joy when I'm prideful, and so do you. But man, when I humble myself before the king, and I go, I am nothing. All credit and honor and glory belongs to you, King Jesus. Lord Jesus, I do what I do because of the gifts that you have entrusted to me. Lord Jesus, I have, I belong, I do, I say because of you, King Jesus. It's all about him. And then joy is a byproduct. It just begins to fill us. But anytime we see ourselves going, oh, baby, it's all about me. So we say no to the hindrances in our, to our life. We don't want to be argumentative. We want to say, Lord, I esteem. Another translation says, I don't esteem others. I value others. Same thing esteem value when you and I value other people they just like it I like it when people value me esteem me I mean yeah but then but Keith don't base don't bask in that esteem others better than yourself serve their needs then Jesus gets praise in marriage 
When you esteem your mate better than you, when you believe for their best, when you trust God for all that they can become, when you're committed to serving them, when you die that they might live, what happens in marriage? Wait a minute. Divorce? What? What happens in marriage? <laughs> you walk around here like a bunch of cats or something, smiling and, you know, everybody's like, man, look at them, boy, they're in love. I mean, watch... Watch dating relationships. Man, they, you know, they, they can't wait to open the door for one another and do something for somebody. And Oh, your hair, you got one hair out of place. You've been married a while, man, you got hair growing out your ear, you know, and everybody's like, hey, brother. I mean, you know, I, I probably should have checked before I used that illustration. But, but uh, you know, sometimes you'd be talking to somebody. Have you, have you ever been talking to anybody and, and, and they've got a little something that annoys you? It's like, yeah, they need, they need some, some, some trimmers, some clippers. Just think about it. That would never happen in a dating relationship. Like, oh, you're so perfect. Oh, your makeup is oh, it's just perfect. Everything about you is perfect. You know, and like, oh, man, that's awesome. Like, okay. But there, there's so much commitment to esteeming the other. And if we could just live life always thinking like, when you go to work saying, that person's better than me. That person needs to be esteemed. I need to value their consideration, their, their needs above mine. Man, people are drawn to that. It's a contagious web. My like, God, show me how to do more of that. Show us. <clears throat> Conceit, it's delusion. It's, it's puffing self up. It's shifting focus to individualism. It's wanting others to notice me. If we're honest, do we want people to notice us? Yeah. Now, wait a minute. You're not getting off that easy. Do we want people to notice us? You're like, well, no, I don't care. All right, well, then sell your house right now and just go move in a cardboard box, okay? Well, no, nah, man, I want to have a nice house. And they're like, well, yeah, I want them to notice that car when I ride down the road. You know, when I walked in with that new shirt on, I, you see these tennis shoes? These are bad, dude. You know what I paid for? The, I know what you paid for them. I want everybody to know. So, I mean, the world feeds into that, man. You got to have, you got, hey, have you ever noticed when you go to the mall, you find out everything you didn't know you needed before? When, when I go to Home Depot down here, I walk around like, whoa! And I can't even hardly use power tools. That's what's hilarious. But there's still stuff in there that I want. <clears throat> like the other day, I'm walking by in Costco, and I look up on the wall, and they got a generator. I'm like, mm-hmm, generator. Mm-hmm. What do I need with a generator? I mean, how many storms do we really have in Montgomery? I don't have the money to buy a generator. But I got to tell you, for just a minute, Costco, dude, it was working. It's like, generator. And I started to go, hey, Donald, you think we need one of these for a storm? Except I've been married for a few years, and I went, that's probably stupid. So I just kind of kept it to myself. The only problem is I just told you, so now she knows. Anyway, okay. <clears throat> we, baby, don't worry. I don't want a generator. No, no. I want a generator. I don't need a generator, okay? <clears throat> There's a lot of things, you know, like, like yesterday I walked by the Vizio 75-inch screens. Everything in me said, I need, 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 need it now. First of all, I ain't got a wall for a 75-inch screen. That's just, that's just pitiful. I know some of you are like, I'm going out and buying one this afternoon. Then you call me when the playoffs come on. All right, March Madness at your house. All right, 2-4. <clears throat> Not looking only to your interest, but each looking to the interest of others. <clears throat> I think I'm making the point here. We, we see about paying attention, what is best for them. So there's a simple question, if you want to write it in, in the margin, that I've written. What are the needs of others? Not the wants, but 
What are the needs of others? Is there a, <coughs> is there a practical need? Do they need Jesus? Do they need prayer? Do they need meal? Do they need food? Do they need clothing? Do they need a friend? Do they need a ride to the doctor? Do they need assistance? What, what do they need? It's a great question. And, and Paul, when I read this about having the attitude of Christ, Jesus was always about that. Hebrews 12, 2, listen to this. <clears throat> Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him. Don't you love that? The author, perfecter of our faith, it says, fixing our eyes upon him. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. But I love this. <clears throat> For the joy set before him. Joy was not about the cross. The cross was torturous. The cross was horrible. I cannot preach enough about the instrument of the cross. It was for the worst. It was for the criminals. Certainly wasn't for my Jesus. But that was the plan of God, the cross. You know, the cross makes all things beautiful. The cross makes things new. But the cross is just an instrument of torture. Let's just get it. And you're like, well, have you seen the cross around my neck? I know it's beautiful. It's adorned. It's gold. It's silver. It has diamonds in it. Man, that's, that's awesome. But the cross is ugly. It's rough wood. Big spikes. And a blessed Savior shed his blood there one day. Because Keith needed redemption. Because Adam needed redemption. Because Bill needed redemption. Because we need redemption. Not being absorbed with myself. But let's move on here. Verse 5. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. So now he, now he, <coughs> he shifts. He goes, now, you need, a, you, need a <laughs> you need an attitude. You need the attitude of Christ. And that attitude is going to bring about life. And that attitude we need to adopt. And, and that deity. And, and, and we think about So fill in the second place. Deity expressed in the dual nature of God. See, God's 100% God, and he's 100% man. And God did not, Jesus did not quit be, being God when he came to earth. A lot of people are like, well, he wasn't God for 33 years. Oh, yes, he was. The Bible says he emptied himself, but he was still God. He could have done anything he wanted to do. I mean, he, he could have done miracles. I mean, he did miracles and raised the dead and Lazarus and on and all, on and all these great things. But he could have done a lot more. But he decided to become completely human. So who is Jesus? Somebody say, well, Jesus is just a good man. He's just a prophetic voice of God. Well, he was that, but God was the word. And he's the essence of God. And he's the essence of Christ. And he's who we are. All that God is, Jesus Christ was and will ever be. His divinity is clearly set forth in the scripture. <clears throat> I love this. The, the deity expressed. But look at the next one. Humanity was displayed as Christ empties himself out. I mean, man, it just, it just gets displayed. I, I love what Philippians 2, 7, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men. He emptied himself. In the Greek, kinu, kinu. It means to make empty. Jesus, God, the Godhead, the Son, empties himself. I, I don't understand it, but he didn't become any less God. He just became man, he became God. If you really want to get into the, the theology of this, it's called... The doctrine of kenosis. And I know some of you are like, man, I, I don't want to know that technically. Okay. He, he emptied himself of deity, but he took upon himself humanity. But, if he, but he really didn't empty himself of deity. He was complete, uh, completely God. It was this union of Christ and God. And, and, and during the incarnation, somehow 
he, he empties himself and he becomes man to become one of us. But he's God because only God can make sacrifice because you've got to have perfect, unblemished sacrifice. And that's not man because man's blown it. Man's a failure. Oh, you're awesome. Am I sounding that bad? Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Hey, I needed that. Glory to God. Amen. Hey, you were looking out for my needs better than yours. Wow, you demonstrated that. And then you go, no, your voice is killing me. Okay. I'm sorry. When you get excited and you talk, and this will soon be over, and you will get to participate next round when pollen hits. Glory to God, okay? I was talking about that the other day. All that yellow stuff's fixing to start falling heavy. Oh, it just makes you hate Montgomery, but let's keep going on. <clears throat> we, God cannot change. He's immutable. Okay. Holding on to him, emptying himself. May, Jesus, here it is. Jesus makes himself nothing that he can become sacrifice for us. And when he makes himself nothing, I think, man, that's what we need to do. We need to make ourselves nothing. Lord, help me to die that you can live in and through me. Lord, that's the Christ life. That's the attitude you're shooting for, reflecting you. Your creator servant, Jesus, you are, you are God. And all these theological underpinnings we, we could talk about for an hour, and I won't, but, but I want to say this. Um, I've often wondered, when they were mocking Jesus and giving Jesus a hard time in his earthly ministry, you know, Jesus could have certainly said, okay, go ahead and do it to me. Buck up. Go ahead. But guys, after the resurrection, there's going to be cosmic annihilation. I'm going to take care of you. Jesus didn't say that. Jesus said, I love you. And hung out his arms and died freely, sacrificially, that we can live. Deity veiled by humanity. And then I want you to see this one. Humility must be increased. As, as you keep working through this, it says, He humbled himself in obedience to God, died a criminal's death on a cross. And then you go into verse 9. I love this. Therefore God exalted him to the place of highest honor, gave him the name above all other names, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I love this praise i love this doxology that i say yes to christ i say no to the flesh i say bless you i say no to a lot of other things but i'm saying yes to christ so he talks about he humbles himself and and i just wrote some quick points in here about how to be humble write these in these just help you how to be humble pray i, I think i think it's where everything starts is in prayer and if you want to be humble you pray lord Show me how to demonstrate your life. Fill me with the humility of Christ. Help me to die to pride. Number two, you have to have genuine worship if you want to be humble. Lord, I give you credit. I give you honor for my SAT score. God, I give you credit for my job. God, I give you credit for my family. God, I give you honor for all things. And the church said... But you're like, no, 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 God. I stayed up late. I read the books. I did it, God. He's like, oh, did you? All right. No. He's gracious. He's a good father. But no, he gets the credit. God, here's the third one. <laughs> you take on a task not assigned to you. That's the, how you stay humble. It's not my job, but I'll do it because it needs to be done. I'll help you. I love that there's so many people in our church that will do that. They'll go, it's not necessarily my responsibility, but it needs to be done. So let me give you something right now. I just set you up. We've got a work day next Saturday. 
And we need you to beautify his campus for those that might come. And you're going, man, it's just cleaning up the campus. It's a big job. And I got to tell you, every time a lot of people show up, I have a lot of fun. A lot of people don't show up. PK gets attitude. <laughs> I'm just saying. I've been out there when there's 35 people. I've been out there when there's four. When there's 90 bales of pine straw and there's four people, you're going, mm, 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 where's the body? And I've said some things that weren't polite. I didn't cuss. I just wasn't happy. But when the body of Christ is out there and we're working in concert and so much is accomplished, and I get to know some people I didn't really know before, it is beautiful. And the church said, I'm going to go sign up right now. Well, don't. Just give me just a few minutes and you can go sign up. D, encourage others. <clears throat> Look at this scripture, Hebrews 5, 8. Son, though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. He, he learned another one, Proverbs 29, 23. A man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain honor. Lord, bring us low. Help us to be lowly in spirit. Help us to be humble. And then the great section that I'm going to have to forsake for time is John 13, verses 12 and following. It's Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. I want you to read that. Draw a box around it in your, uh, in your Bible. Meditate on this. Deity, humanity. I love this. We're never more like the devil than when we're selfish. We're never more like Jesus than when we serve. Lord Jesus, help us to serve you today. Somebody said this. I wish I could tell you who, but I, I read it few years ago and I had in some notes life is like a volleyball game as long as you're serving you never lose uh, some of you just got that okay you have to serve to win in volleyball <clears throat> when we serve the purposes of Christ when we serve one another Christ is magnified it's the attitude of Christ so Lord help us to look at your death on a cross and see how the extremeness that you had to go through and when the Bible says and but God demonstrates his own love toward us that while we were yet sinners christ dies for us romans 5 8 lord i love that look in the box there the secret of christianity says warren wearsby is found in the way that the believer thinks his attitudes joy is linked to attitude and lord i pray that today you could shape my attitude to be more like my savior you could shape my friends today we could somehow elevate you and then 10 through 11 just look at it the name of Jesus, every name should bow in heaven and on earth. That means the angels will bow, the people in this earth, after the rapture, the millennial reign, the unbelievers will all one day acknowledge. But here's where I like for people to acknowledge. I love you for the mouth to bow the knee on this side of heaven when you acknowledge the lordship of Jesus Christ in your life and you confess Jesus is Lord. It's a verbal confession of his lordship. You know... <clears throat> I've just often thought about how awesome it is to say it's the great confession of the church. Jesus is Lord. Can you say that this morning? Jesus is Lord. Jesus is my Lord. My God. My King. May my life, may your life magnify the name of the Savior. Where does joy begin this morning? It begins with Christ begins with his lordship working in your life the team's going to come we're going to do one great song and i want to give you this i like how this writer says this jesus was human and he was thirsty as a man he had a need for water 
But Jesus, as God says, come and drink of me and I will give you streams of living water. Jesus wept one day when Lazarus died. And Jesus tells us, come and I will dry your tears. And come and go to heaven and there'll be no more tears. The earthly Jesus was sold out for 30 pieces of silver. But the Lord Jesus Christ redeems life with his precious blood. There's one thing. It's Jesus. So this morning, will you say with the Apostle Paul, Jesus is Lord. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for these incredible truths today. <laughs> thank you for the power of your word. And Lord, I pray that you would define our lives by your presence and by your grace. Lord, come and fill this place. And may we all be able to make a declaration that says, Jesus Christ is my living hope. Jesus Christ is my sovereign king. Jesus Christ is my eternal joy. Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. Jesus Christ is to be praised in the church. Jesus Christ is to be praised in the house. Jesus Christ is to be praised everywhere. May the praises of Jesus flow from our lips that our attitude might reflect our blessed Redeemer.